Good morning. How are you guys today? Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your presence to be in this place. Um, we know that your presence is in this place. We pray, God, that you would make yourself known to us in a real way, that you would give us strength to fight for what matters. Lord, that you would inspire us to live for you in a day in which you are calling us to live for you um, and, and to make a difference for you in this world. And God, I pray now that your, that your word would be open to us that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would transform us, that we might be a part of transforming the world. It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. So we're in the last week of the series, Fight. We're talking about fighting for what really matters. We're talking about the fight of our lives. Um, we're looking, you know, and, and I wanna just remind you that this is not the fight that a lot of us, a lot of times this world thinks it is. It's a fight, it's a spiritual battle against the unseen forces in this world that are at work every day. And a lot of us have a kind of a hard time with unseen things. Um, I know in our modern society, uh, acknowledging anything supernatural is not necessarily a popular thing to do. But here's what I've realized. Most everybody will acknowledge that there are, spirit, there are forces of evil at work in the world. There is a battle going on between good and evil all the time. And you know, one of the devil's greatest uh, strategies, I believe, is to disguise the battle so that we don't know who our enemy is. We don't know that there's even a battle going on because it keeps us from engaging in the battle in the way that God wants us to. Now, I, 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 wanna, I, want, I want you to think for a minute about why you don't fight sometimes, because we all would admit there are times we don't fight, right? You know, the first week of the series, I said, you know, I want you to, this is an opportunity for you to, again, say, not today, Satan. There are gonna be times when you need to tell Satan, not today, you know, that he has no foothold, that he has no authority, that you are claiming the, the, the power of Christ and his resurrection over whatever battle you are facing. Um, I saw, actually saw a bumper sticker, I think it was intended to be sarcastic and humorous, but it said, maybe today Satan. Now how many of us would admit there are days that we live a little bit more like maybe today Satan, we actually aren't ready or prepared for battle? Um, and why is that? Well, sometimes I think that there are those of us on one side that, that are always thinking about what's next um, and always thinking about how to achieve more and we're driven and we've always been that way and, and what happens, you're, you're after the next thing always and when you get something, then it's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Anybody relate? And at some point you come and you start and you stop and you look around and you say, well, what's next? And there's this feeling of emptiness that you arrived and you got that car or you got that house or you got that promotion or you got that relationship and you thought it was gonna make you fulfilled and you got there and you realized that it left you still empty. And you're asking what's next. There are others of us, maybe, maybe a little bit of an underachiever. And, and it's not, listen, if you're an underachiever, it's not, it's not, all, it's not usually that you just said, I don't really care. A lot of times what happens in life is we start out with good amb ambition and, and good intentions and we go after things and, and we have setback after setback after setback and there are things out of our control and there are other people that impede our process and it feels like we will never win the battle. 
There are too many obstacles, too many enemies, there's too much stacked against us, and we feel like we will never, never win the battle. And we think, what's next again? Right, what's the next thing that's gonna prevent me from, you know, and you feel inspired and you come to church and you pray and you read your Bible and you look around and you say, every time, every time, every time there's somebody or something coming against me. Well, I'm gonna challenge you that I think in both cases, we've got our eyes set on the wrong idea or the wrong end or the wrong goal, that the fight is not a fight to get us to a comfortable place. That the fight is not a fight to win in such a way that we'll never have to fight again. What is it about us that we feel like life should be easy? This is not the goal. The goal is to fight for what matters. And what does matter? What does the enemy want most of all? That's what I wanna focus on this last week. What does the enemy want most of all? What is his strategy for winning the battle? His strategy from the beginning has been to scatter, to separate. And God's desire is unity from the very beginning. God's desire is that we would be one with him, one in relationship to him, and one in relationship with others. Friends, that is the end goal. That is what we are fighting for, is this relational wholeness. And see, that, friends, is is not always uh, obvious in our circumstances, is it? There are plenty of people all through Scripture and through history who have have endured challenge and and who have endured uh, and, and persevered through very difficult things and yet still kept hope and peace alive because they stayed connected to God even in their difficulty. What does the enemy want? The enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to separate. And Jesus came to bring us life and to bring us back to God. And he prayed for this. This was his prayer. As the disciples were gathering and and he knew that he was going back to the Father, he he had this time of prayer where he prayed for the disciples. And I love this about this passage in John uh, chapter 17 because he prays not only for the disciples that were, were around him that day, but he also prays for us even today. And this was his prayer. I do not ask for, those, for these only, the ones around him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be one. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. That they may become perfectly what? Perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You see, ever since evil and sin and brokenness and scatteredness entered the world, ever since, God has been working to redeem, to restore, to restore oneness and wholeness in relationship with us and and to bring us back into relationship with one another. Now, oneness is not uniformity. Oneness is not uniformity. Oneness doesn't mean that we all look exactly the same or that our personalities are the same or that our tastes are all the same or that we even see the world all the same. Oneness means that we're in harmony and relationship with one another though. That we can walk hand in hand and heart in heart, heart together, hearts together with people who are even different than us 
and have different life experiences than us. Why? Why does God design it that way? Because God's ultimate purpose is his will and, and his work of bringing the whole world to know Jesus. Notice in his prayer, in this prayer, and in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 4, 3, that this, 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 ad, this admonition to the early disciples was about oneness, not because they were all supposed to look to, like each other, but because they were supposed to be on mission with one another in the world. There was one mission to bring people back to Christ. This purpose of unity is, is that all people might know who Jesus is. Takes us back to John three sixteen, the most memorable verse in all of scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this is worth fighting for. Your fight for oneness our fight in relationships, as we've talked about, to, to, to not give up, to not throw in the towel, to not seek just to be comfortable, but to seek to be one with each other and one with God, has lasting impact on this world beyond just our own lives. God can do amazing things when we allow ourselves to be transformed by him. This is a oneness worth fighting for. So today, I, I wanna just walk us through really kind of a, this may be new to you, if you're new to church, or maybe you've heard this a million times before, but this is the big story of scripture, of what God is doing, what God has done, and how our story intersects with his story. As I talked a little bit last week about Adam in the garden, and Adam was in, you could say, aloneness in the garden. Even before sin and even before brokenness, as Adam is alone, there is something that God says is not good. I mean, imagine that. In a perfect world that God has created that he says something is not good. What does he say is not good? He says it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good that, that Adam should be alone. This is not just about marriage. This is not in, in a romantic sense necessarily. It is, about, it is about union. It is about oneness. It is about community. That God himself is communal, is relational. And if God created us in his own image, then he created us not to live in disunity or in aloneness, but to live in union with him and with one another. And then he creates Eve, of course. This is the first image of what I would say is togetherness. The first image is he takes Eve out of Adam and he creates two that might live in relationship with one another. It is an image of what God desires for us. But we know this togetherness doesn't last long, does it? Because the enemy shows up and the enemy wants to do what? The enemy wants to tear apart again. The enemy wants to break what God has created. And so he says to Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say that you can't take of that fruit? Did God really say, surely you will not die? He questions. Because his desire from the beginning is to pull apart 
Remember, they were literally made for each other. They were to experience oneness with God and each other. And the enemy shows up to do what? To separate them from God, to separate them. He banishes them from the garden. This is the first example of exile. He banishes them from the garden and the rest of of the story of scripture will be God working to recreate what was lost in the garden. This peace, this oneness, this wholeness that God designed for you to live in. This is what we fight for. This is what the enemy comes to steal from us. I wanna encourage you once again as we have each week that we have resources out in the hallway. It's been really cool to see how many people have stopped by and picked these up and I hope that they're helpful. Um, You can go by Home Point on your way out when you exit to the left. There's a wall there with resources for the family, for marriage and for parenting to help you fight for what really matters. Um, And today there there are a couple of of them that can help us address this brokenness and this hurt. So I wanna just lift up addressing addiction in the family. Maybe you're experiencing the, the, the effects of addiction on relationships and this is a resource to help you navigate that. Or what does it look like if we find ourselves married and yet not married with, not married to someone who has the same faith or desires to walk with God? That there's this unity about our, even our faith, um, there's a resource uh, addressing this as well, married but following Christ alone. Um, many other resources that I would encourage you to take and to use uh, because we do have this battle to fight Togetherness, God's design, God's design. Why is it that we seek aloneness or apartness? You see, Satan rips us apart, rips us from this relationship. It says that Adam and Eve covered themselves. This was the first instance of shame and fear that drove them to cover themselves from from God's eyes. There's selfishness and pride that tears them apart and we see this played out in in the very first story after the garden when a brother kills a brother. And this is our story, friends. This is our story. It still continues today. In fact, all of the Old Testament, there, there are a bunch of crazy stories in the Old Testament. Let me just tell you. Some of you, when you picked up a Bible for the first time, you just started at the beginning, right? And it doesn't take very long before you're like, what in the world is going on? This is a mess. You see, when we read the Old Testament and we read all of these stories and we expect people to be perfect, we are disappointed. When we think that the people of the Old Testament are the ideal, we will be shocked because it's anything but ideal. In fact, what I would say to you is the Old Testament is a string of people trying to make things work again, trying to do what Adam couldn't do in the garden, and trying all sorts of ways to fight back together what was broken. And it doesn't work. It's still part of the story, friends. In fact, I think one of the best ways we learn, right, is with bad examples. Well, that didn't work, and that didn't work. Maybe there is one to come who can make this work. I heard someone say one time that you can, you can never be considered a complete failure as long as you can be used as a bad example. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. It's probably true, though, right? <laughs> there are lots of bad examples of fighting for unity 
fighting for oneness and all of the chaos that ensues littered through the Old Testament. In fact, that's what the longing is all along. And this longing is not achieved until the cross. When Jesus comes and he says, I'm gonna fight to bring you what you could never do for yourself. What Adam couldn't do, the second Adam does. What we cannot do in our own strength to fight for unity, Jesus does. He brings us togetherness again. Jesus brings us back together in relationship to God. I love that this image, you know, so many images we see Jesus alone on the cross, which is not an accurate depiction of what was actually happening. That Jesus, even in his death, was not alone. He experienced a deep sorrow and a deep mourning and he cried out to God and he, you know, on the cross says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And a lot of people misunderstand what's going on when he says that because he's actually quoting. You can see if you follow his words on the cross, you can see that he's reciting the Psalms from memory. And he's reciting one of those Psalms of David, but he knows I believe he knows that even in the darkness, even in that darkest moment, that God has not abandoned him or forsaken him. In fact, he's come and what he's doing and what he's willing to do are to undo all of the effects of everything that's come before. And so the brokenness that you experience, the brokenness that you know, the scatteredness that you know, God will redeem even that for good. There's a story in the book of Acts, right after Jesus is is crucified and resurrected again and back to life, that God shows how he's going to now work to fight through his people. Friends, he, he initiates the church for this fight. We are to be one together so that we can go into the world and be in mission as one. And so in Acts, the the day of Pentecost, we call it, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they began to perform miracles and began to preach boldly and people began to come to a faith in Christ. And this movement is taking off. And there was one who was said to, to have been the, the, the greatest agitator of the early church, his name was Paul, he was to become, uh, his name was Saul, he was to become Paul. And it says that he was breathing these murderous threats against all of God's people. But God transforms him radically on the road road to Damascus. And, And he does a work in him to change him. But earlier in his life, and I think this was the transforming moment of his life, of his faith. Because there was a guy named Stephen. Remember, early after Pentecost, there was a guy named Stephen who was serving, who was a leader of the church, and, and Stephen was brought and caught as a Christian. Um, it was, uh, you, you know, they were gonna stone him, and, and, and it says that, that Saul is there in the crowd and that he's bearing witness to what's happening and he's even endorsing what's happening. And Stephen just cries out and looks to heaven even as he's being killed, murdered, even, you know, talk about, it seems that he's lost the fight, right? 
But in that moment, the way that he looks to heaven and the way that he is full of the Spirit as, as the book of Acts relates shows that there's a oneness even in this brokenness. You see, it's not in perfection that we really bear witness to Christ, but it's oftentimes in our most broken moments. Anybody know something about that? Stephen, in that moment, I don't know what happened, but I believe that Paul, that Saul, saw Stephen. And I believe that that encounter and, and the way that he faced his death and the way that the Holy Spirit was alive in him, it bothered Saul. Until one day on that road to Damascus when Jesus appeared to him and called him to come and follow him and his life was transformed and he went from being a persecutor of the church to being the greatest leader of the early Christian movement. What might God want to use in your life? Because even when the enemy tries to scatter, God has a way of redeeming it. You see, after Stephen was stoned, it says that the Christians began to flee. They began to run. They began, they were scattered. And what the enemy meant for, for harm, God actually used for good because as they scattered into all parts of the world, they began to share the good news of Christ with the world. And because of this, the world was changed. Because of this, the faith, a faith in Christ and the movement of the early church spread throughout all the world. You see, when we see the whole picture, we can see ourselves in the story. We can see from aloneness and those moments when we choose isolation because we don't want to fight, because we're afraid of the fight, because we're afraid to make ourselves vulnerable enough to live in relationship. We can see moments of aloneness, but we can remember that God has made us for togetherness. And it reminds us of our brokenness, and it reminds us of the enemy who wants to separate us, who wants to pull us apart. But most of all, it reminds us to fight for what matters because Christ came to redeem. He came in victory over the grave, and he came to give us life again. This is a picture of what we call atonement. The word atonement's a big theological word, I know, but I love if you break it down, how what is atonement actually if you spell it out? It's at one -ment. That's actually what it means to be at one with God, that God has created you, friends. God has not created us to just experience a dry religion, a dry, meaningless religion where we just walk through a bunch of rules and follow a bunch of rules and hope that at the end of the day we're good enough to deserve his grace. Listen, Jesus, God made you to know relationship with him, to walk in oneness with him. And yes, there is one who came to separate us, but he will not win because Jesus has overcome. This is the good news of the gospel, friends. And I wanna invite you into a time of prayer as the band comes up to close us out this morning. I believe, I know that all of us face uh, brokenness. All of us face a battle. All of us face separation. All of us have experienced disunity. All of us have, have known what it is to be pulled apart from God or to be pulled apart from others. And I know that there are some of us in this room who might even be experiencing some of the effects of that brokenness this morning. Maybe for you, 
it's a struggle with an addiction. Maybe for you, it's a broken relationship that you wish you could mend. Maybe for you, it's a harmful relationship that you don't know how to let go of. I don't know where you are or what the fight is. Maybe it's a child who's wandered away that you're longing for and praying for, but I believe in a God who brings us back together. I wanna invite you just to bow your heads right where you are. You were not created to live in isolation. You were not created to live alone, but we were created to live as one with God and one with each other. And right now, I wanna just pray over you. I wanna pray that where, wherever you are, wherever there is discord or division or scattering or persecution or doubt or fear or isolation, I pray in the name of Jesus right now over whatever that is for you, whatever has you scattered or separated or apart. I pray the victory of Jesus, his power over the grave. I pray that over your life right now. Jesus, by your power would you come again. By your power would you rain your spirit down upon us this morning. Lord, would you bring us back to you for some of us in this room, it might mean that we've been wandering too long, that we've turned our backs on God. I pray that today would be the day that you turn around and come back. For some of us, it's a relationship we wish we could fix. It's a forgiveness that we wish we could grant. Lord, I pray for that strength for those. Release, release it to him today, friends. For some of us, it is a struggle to believe that it even matters, that the fight matters anymore, that there is any hope. And Lord, I pray that you would restore hope that you would remind us that you are the God of all hope, the God who sees, the God who overcomes, the God who brings peace, wholeness, and oneness. God, bring us your oneness. Bring us your togetherness. Bring us to life in the way that you have designed us to live, not in a life that not in a way that is free from conflict, but in a way that over, overcomes our brokenness and our despair. Lord, help us, give us strength. Some of us in this room might be ready to just throw in the towel, and I pray, God, that, that we would have the strength, that we would be encouraged, that your spirit would speak even to us now, giving us courage to walk with you, to walk another day with you, to, to not give up the fight but to fight for what really matters. Lord, we wanna fight, we wanna fight for our families, we wanna fight for our kids, we wanna fight for our marriages. We wanna fight, Lord, that, that you might be seen in us, that your grace and your mercy might ex be experienced even through us as we reach out to this world in need. It's in Jesus' name I pray.